Okay, guys, I want you to take American treasure, beloved actor, Bruce Campbell, and insert him into a big AAA movie, a big horror movie, or a franchise that you wouldn't expect to see him in and make it work. All intents and purposes, Bruce Campbell is the king of the B actor, right? Like everybody knows who he is, but he's never anything huge, um, except for when Sam Raimi drags him into Spider-Man. Oh, are you being serious? Because that sounded like a lot of um, shenanigans words that you just spoke about Bruce Campbell. No, that's uh, pretty accurate. You want to go take a poll outside? A survey says, ding, 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 number one, B actor. I would love to family feud to see how many, we surveyed 100 people out of that. How many said Bruce Campbell is a good actor? Did I say good? I don't think I said good. I said king of the B actors. You said national treasure at one point, and there is only one national treasure, and that is Nicholas motherfucking Cage. <laughs> I rest my case. And Tom Atkins. It's true. But um, And Adam Scott. Yes, and Adam Scott. But, you know, that he's just... He's so far above everything. Um, I'm going to go first on this one because as our listeners may or may not know, I'm not a huge Bruce Campbell fan. I respect the man. I respect what he's done. You know, as you said, he has made a an imprint on the, the, the B movies and even just like, you know, acting in general. I mean, people know Bruce Campbell. I just personally don't dig his style of acting. But having to put him into another franchise or another AAA movie, I can think of no greater place to put him than into another film that has someone who overacts their ass off, Planet of the Apes. I think he should play the Charlton Heston role in the Planet of the Apes series. Damn you! You son of a bitch, you stole one of mine. Yeah! <laughs> wow, that's like a strike. That's like a cold open strike. Well done, Garrett. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> he just has that that kind of like acting kind of way about him, which sometimes comes off as a little smarmy to me. And I I come to realize that I immediately think of Bruce Campbell, Army of Darkness and Bruce Campbell kind of like campy sci fi Bruce Campbell when I think of him and less of his more subdued, like good acting work. You know, the guy's got range, but I definitely think that he would fit perfectly into a Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And uh, he has that classic uh, lined jaw, you know, he's got that square jaw, like a classic Hollywood actor of like the fifties, sixties, like Charlton Heston. I think they kind of have this similar physique. Mm -hmm. Um, also think of like Leslie Nielsen, early Leslie Nielsen, you know, they're, they're just that tall, <laughs> slender look and, and jawline. What's up? I thought you were going to say tall drink of water. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> he's that too. But, uh, no, he could uh, easily be Moses in the Ten Commandments, another Charlton Heston role. I really think the Omega Man, like anything that uh, Ch Heston played, like you could easily put him in place and it would have been the same movie probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, why not Mr. Magoo? Let's put him in a Leslie Nielsen movie, uh, the Naked Gun movie. Let's see how he does. I'm not saying he's going to have the comedy timing of a Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> but I think he could make it work. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, again, he's got... He's got range. The man can can legit act. It's just I always think of him as smarmy Bruce Campbell from like Army of Darkness, Evil Dead type stuff. So it's hard for me to immediately put him into places. But uh, you're right. He does have that very chiseled jaw, you know, kind of, you know, that look to him. I went much more modern. I thought it would be he'd do probably pretty great, pretty exceptional as Agent Smith in The Matrix. Ooh. Now that would be a totally different vibe, but I think it would be <laughs> super cool. So that's what I'd like to see. I thought you were going to say Agent, and then I thought you were going to say uh, Will Smith from uh, Men in Black. I could see Bruce Campbell in Men in Black Ooh. as well. 
Oh yeah, that worked. I also love that John was like, I went modern with this, and then he named a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more modern than Charleston Heston. <laughs> you got us there. That's true. Uh, yeah, I th- yeah. But what about like something that came out in the last five years? Could he be any of the Marvel characters? Could he fit in a DC film? Yes. Like, w- yes. What does he have a place in anything like that? Uh, he'd be a banger, Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I'm going to disagree. I think, <laughs> I think Homeboy nailed Ant Man. But there are so many wonderful characters in the the MCU. We're not even going to get into the DCU right now, but the MCU specifically that I think Bruce Campbell would be a, a great fit and not even playing Bruce Campbell. I, I legit would like to see him play a villain. I think that he could he could really pull off. I don't know if you guys remember that old God, it, this is a deep cut. It's called Icebreakers with Sean Astin and Bruce Campbell as like the evil like villain. It's like Die Hard, but on a ski mountain. You tell everyone that there's a very bad man hiding in the Summit restaurant, threatening the death of innocence if even one member of our proud law enforcement community is seen sniffing about. This is not a good place. I'm a park ranger, not the Lone Ranger. Yeah, the only people that are going to remember that are the people that watch Rift Tracks. <laughs> there you go. He played a villain in that. And while he was a little campy in that, um, he did a really good job of kind of setting this like this aura about him that kind of was very commanding. I do think that Bruce Campbell has a place uh, within the MCU with if not that, then the definitely the DCU um, as a main Avenger. Probably not. Could I see him as a B a B character X-Man? Absolutely. Could I see him on oh, a Thunderbolts team? Okay, anyway, welcome back to Marvel Talk. Today we're going to be talking about the Thunderbolts. If you guys are not familiar with the Thunderbolts, the Thunderbolts was a team that was created by... Okay, anyway. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. He, he definitely has a place. And not only that, he is quintessential, and that's taken a lot for me to say, he is quintessential in the, the nerd film pantheon. You've got your people like Bruce Campbell. You've got your people like Felicia Day. Um... The guy who plays Doogie Howser. God, what's that guy's name? Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. There's just certain people that hit like nerd pop culture and you just know they, they've they just always got a place to, to sit. Um, who's the guy that, in Firefly that everyone loves that um, comes off as like a... Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. Like, so I... It's hard to it's hard to argue that the man has got a place, and I think that he could easily slide into a, an MCU type role. I man, now I really really want a Nathan Fillion, uh, Bruce Campbell buddy cop movie or something like that. That'd be great. Would be great. Oh God, the Smarm Squad. I, I, I'm in for it. Perfect name. Are we sure that Evil Dead isn't already in the Marvel Universe? This nope, feels like it's something not. they would have made a comic for. It's not. Has there ever been a comic of it, though? I, that has to have come out at some yes, point. Yes. Well, he, believe- he fought the zombies, right? The Marvel zombies. No. Well, no, I don't think he fought the Marvel zombies. It was Ash versus... Zom- there, was a, there was a whole like Evil Dead uh, Ash comic book series, so... Yeah, uh, Marvel zombies versus the Army of Darkness in 2007. When the hell was that? 2007. It was in 2007. <laughs> okay, I do not remember that because the Marvel Zombies series is like like eight miniseries is deep, so I didn't know that that was actually a thing. I wonder if that's more of a what if or if that's actually canon. It'd be interesting to know. These comics featured a, a version of Ash from a world where the events of the Evil Dead films didn't take place until the early 21st century, which was later designated by Marvel Comics as Earth 818793. Okay, so it's an alternate Earth, which basically goes into their multiverse theory. Now, to be fair, with the the King Doom, um, God Doom White event, 
that was all nixed. So that doesn't exist anymore. That's not canon. So get the fuck out of here, Evil Dead. Boo. Yeah, King Doom. Boo for Redcon in that. <laughs> uh, I will also add that there was an Army of Darkness book put out by Dark Horse and Dynamite Entertainment. So there's comics out there. Yeah, Dynamite's the one I was thinking of. Okay, well... Listeners, I'd love to hear what you would put Bruce Campbell in, so hit us up on our social media, and let's get into today's episode for Evil Dead 2. Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell, we're gonna be best friends, gonna come to your house and watch Hercules, and tease him until the end, I'll hand you everything I own, and you'll sign it all for me, then we'll start rehearsing for Bailey and Creep. Bruce Lord Campbell should be offered every lead. Indeed, Casablanca could have been improved. The Campbell would have said, Here's looking at you, you primitive screwhead. Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk Podcast. My name is Mark, again joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Hanging in there. I'm a little sleepy, so that might come through this recording. You were hanging in there last week. Yeah, it hasn't changed. I'm still just hanging in there. Is it like you, the picture of the cat on the wire? 100%, except I'm down to like one paw. Like, uh, <laughs> what was that? What's that Sylvester Stallone movie where he's a uh, cliffhanger? A mountaineer cliffhanger. Yeah, it looks like the cliffhanger poster. Oh, that's a that's a T-shirt right there. That's John hanging from the wire like the hang in there, baby kitty. But it's just like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I wonder if that movie holds up. I haven't seen cliffhanger since it came out. I don't think it was good back then. So it can't hold up. <laughs> you let us know, Mark. I will point out to our listeners that the sun is not down here yet. So John is... Our resident old man. Oh, no, I'm not tired from lack of sleep, though. I'm sure that plays some part of it. Uh, just tired from existing. Jeez. Oh, wow. Got r- My r- listeners know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Real existential there. <laughs> Hanging in there, like, by his lifeline. Jeez. <laughs> On a string and a prayer. That sounds more depressed than I really feel. Just, you know, adulting's tough. Garrett, are you doing okay? Do we need to send or call somebody? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic, you know? I mean... I mean, sure, there's a bunch of crazy bullshit going on right now, but as far as me personally, I'm I'm kicking ass, taking names, doing all that fun stuff. Glad to hear it. Well, what have y'all been up to since last time? John's watched no movies. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Uh, well, okay, that's actually not true. Uh, <laughs> I just watched no movies of no. I did go back and for no good reason watch Paranormal Activity 3. Uh, still love that movie. Still think it's one of the best of the Paranormal Activity movies. And then I watched... Uh, oculus about the the scary mirror and that movie's a, a banger too so i did watch some great movies but they were all rewatch is oculus the one that has the gal who played uh, uh the girl from uh, guardians of the galaxy uh yes karen Gilly- gillian yeah that's her i don't know why i can't think of her character name she was the one with all the robotic parts no nova nebula nebula <laughs> i was half listening and i thought you said terry gilliam and i was like i do not know anything about this fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> that's a very different guardians of the galaxy movie and it's all made of paper mache character cutouts yeah well i thought he was talking about oculus i thought terry gilliam was the girl from oculus and i was like what the hell is going on in this movie if y'all haven't seen it it's really good why don't you tell us what the plot is uh yeah sure i can definitely tell you that it's about a mirror the lasser glass that has been in existence for 
seemingly like 300 years. You don't get a lot of backstory. It's meant to be like a sort of just existential thing that causes people to hallucinate and it like sucks out their life force. And it follows the story of this brother and sister who this mirror drove their dad insane and caused them to kill their mom. And now they're trying to destroy this mirror. And it's like how they how they go about that. Uh, I don't want to like spoil the ending. Uh, but in the meantime, the mirror makes them hallucinate or live these really horrible experiences. So uh, it's super good. Yeah, yeah. That actually was a very freaky movie. I I can agree to that. Uh, but I, now I'm just uh, going down a IMDb hole of all the Terry Gilliam films like Time Bandits in Brazil. <laughs> and all that stuff. Anyway, I got distracted. What have you been up to, Garrett? Well, I didn't watch any uh, Terry Gilliam films, but I did go back and watch a couple horror films because someone's got to keep this podcast on track. Um, I went back and watched The Green Room. If you guys haven't seen that, damn, that movie is insanely tense and creepy as shit. If you're not familiar, it's about a, uh, a punk rock band that uh, gets themselves into a bit of a sticky situation um, in a, a bar up in the northwest of the U.S. I don't want to give too much away because it is, it is fucking intense, but that movie is crazy hardcore. It's nonstop. The pacing's fantastic. The actors, uh, Patrick Stewart's in it. Uh, that movie's really good. It's an A24 film. I forgot about that. So shouts out to A24 for still kicking out some, some rowdy, awesome films even back then. I also watched a new movie that came out recently called Benny Loves You, and it's about a stuffed animal who just will not move past his uh his owner it's a kind of a horror comedy it's british it's interesting it's it's pretty good it's got some flaws i'm not going to say it's a perfect film but uh it's got kind of this voice narration that kind of runs through it which at times is a little bit distracting the pacing is pretty solid but it does drag at moments but overall for a like an indie horror flick it's really fun it's kind of like a horror comedy so there's a, it's really enjoyable i'd recommend checking it out it's pretty cheap right now on itunes i think you can also rent it but uh, that one's Benny Loves You. And then other than that, just kind of looking and getting excited for this year's Frightmare, September 10th, 11th, and 12th, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Tony Todd's going to be there. Tom Atkins, you damn right, I'm going to make him thrill me. And uh, a bunch of other amazing horror actors. Mark, you're, uh, you're Kane Hodders there again. Nice. If you guys are going to be in Texas on September 10th through 12th, we're going to be, well, I'm going to be at uh, Texas Frightmare. I'm not sure if John and Mark are going to go based off their their responses last time. They may skip out, but I'll be there. So if you see me, yell at me, throw stuff at me, you know, berate me until I cry in front of everyone. You know, whatever you feel like doing, uh, it's, uh, it's a good time. Just be there. And how will they identify you in the crowd? Are you going to wear a shirt saying, I am Garrett from the Grave Talk? I'll be the sexiest man there with throw me tattooed across my chest. So Okay. Well, listener, now you've got a mark. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not kidding. I'm, I'm thinking about, oh, God, what could I do to actually like earn us enough money? We need to do a contest where I'll get a tramp stamp that says throw me if we get enough like donations from our listeners or something. Hmm. Pay us so Garrett will mutilate his body with uh, famous movie quotes. I like it. What have I been up to? Uh, I didn't mean to, but uh, because it sounds like I planned this, but I didn't. I watched Spider-Man from uh, the early 2000s. The Sam Raimi directed one. I hadn't seen it in over a decade. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I want to see how it holds up. And it's it's interesting to revisit this film because it feels older than I thought it would. I don't know if you guys have seen it in a while. 
But I think we've gotten so accustomed to the Marvel MCU Disney uh, formulas that this one feels so foreign now. It's crazy. I have watched this recently. And for as much as you guys tell me not to talk about Marvel movies on the podcast, I like how you're bringing this one back up, Mark. Yeah, I did actually watch this one, I would say, last month. And it, it is a very different feel. It's it's very interesting to see how this one kind of, you know, presents itself. I still cannot get over the Green Goblin costume. And to this day, one of the biggest mistakes made by Hollywood. Yeah. Wasn't it, isn't it uh, sad that Willem Dafoe was just like, I am not going to wear that animatronic thing. Give me a helmet. And that's what happened. Is that what happened? I believe so. I think if you go look online, there's video of test footage of the Green Goblin animatronic face they were going to use. But Willem Dafoe was so intently against it and said he'd quit if that was what was going to be used that he, uh, they went with something else. Uh, I hope he regrets every fucking moment of that. I hope he's like sitting there going like, I could have been, I could have been somebody. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, I bring it up here because this was directed by who directed Evil Dead 2, who did Darkman, Mr. Sam Raimi, the guy that would, uh, brought us to today's movie. That Spider-Man felt like a movie made by the guy who made Darkman. Am I wrong? <laughs> like, You can totally see has his uh, progression as a director. And then it's crazy that he got a giant... Marvel movie like that. But I guess back then, you know, Marvel Studios wasn't really established. And that's why Sony's had this Spider-Man rice wrapped up for all this time. Yeah, this was a Sony flick. It was not part of the uh, the MCU. Um, this was before that that got kicked off fully. I actually and I don't know how controversial take this is, but I really enjoy the first two Sony Spider-Man films. They're they're very different feeling. And part two is phenomenally better than part one. But um, I, I feel like they both did a really good job of capturing the general feel and um, energy of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Granted, the Green Goblin situation, the, the imagery for it is just trash beyond trash. But even then, the, the villain itself, like the idea behind them, they capture that really well. And I think Raimi did a really good job, which is why it's so bizarre to think about that he just did like what, Evil Dead 1 and 2? Had he done Army of Darkness yet? Yeah, Army of Darkness came out in 93. Okay. Uh, he then he did uh, Darkman, and he did like one other film, and then got the Spider-Man franchise. Yeah, which is crazy to think about, because if I had seen just those movies, I would have I would been rolling over if I had heard he was directing a Spider-Man film. I would have been like, this is the worst idea ever. But he did a really good job in the movie we're going to talk about today. You can see a lot of kind of his early imprint that he will bring with him as he progresses as a director um spider-man for instance um what was that one with the uh the gypsy curse drag me to hell that was a fantastic film too and you can it is interesting to see his progression but um i don't know man i mean did you did it hold up for you did spider-man hold up yes and no right i mean this the the effects were rough back then some of the animations of spider-man swinging through the town were were rough in 2000 what was it 2001 2002 something like that so that was dated i absolutely think the first half of spider-man is the best part of it before they actually start fighting in the town like watching him become spider-man learn his powers is web shooting go web go you know all those jokes and everything i think that stuff is still very great but I am going to move on to Spider-Man 2 because I remember that one being the fan favorite of the three. I remember for years and years, it was widely considered to be the best comic book movie was Spider-Man 2. That was like the safe answer to say. So I wonder how well, well that holds up. I'll let you know. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about today's movie, 1987's Evil Dead 2, 
Written by Sam Raimi and Scott Spiegel, directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, This one's at a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics and an 89% with the audience out of 100,000 plus reviews. That is insane, dude. That is insane. (laughs) It's a lot. Just to get the other uh, information out of the way, we've got Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams, Sarah Barry as Annie Nobly, Dan Hicks as Jake, Cassie Wesley DePaiva as Bobby Joe, Ted Ramey as Possessed Henrietta, Denise Bixler as Linda, Richard Domier as Ed Getley, John Peaks as the voice of Professor Raymond Nobly, and Lou Hancock as Henrietta Nobly. That's the mother before she turns into the evil dead, deadite creature. Uh, here's what the back of the VHS box has to say about Evil Dead 2. Ash, the sole survivor of the Evil Dead, returns to the same isolated cabin deep in the woods with his girlfriend Linda. The two discover a mysterious tape recorder and hear the voice of Professor Nobi reciting passages from the Necronomicon, or Book of the Dead. Little do they know that the Professor's words are powerful enough to invoke a spell that unleashes the spirit of evil alive. What? (laughs) It's evil dead. I'll start that sentence over. Little do they know that the professor's words are powerful enough to invoke a spell that unleashes the spirit of evil alive in the remote forest surrounding them. Watch in terror as the plot sickens. Shouldn't it be thickens? Play on words, dude. Play on words. Play on words. Yeah. They think they're being clever. Okay. Watch in terror as the plot sickens and the supernatural demons invade the cabin on a gory crusade for human victims. In desperation... Ash attempts to escape his horrific fate by battling with the gruesome ghouls with the help of some unexpected visitors. However, he discovers that he's no match for the unspeakable creatures. Oh, it's not a horror. So close. But it's unspeakable nonetheless. Lurking behind every door and wait beyond every corner. My favorite part of the back of this book is the quote, the mother of all sequels says Bruce Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) Bruce Campbell's great in this film. Garrett, you can't deny the man is famous enough to get himself quoted on his own movie on the back of the box. Come on, right there. That's proof. (laughs) Look, as someone who now has his quote on the hereditary Blu-ray, I'm just going to say anybody can do it. (laughs) Take hereditary to print and then we'll talk. Um, Okay, let's see, guys. What did you think of Evil Dead 2? Well, I guess I'll start. Um, first, I want to say that was one of the longer back of the boxes that we've seen in a while. I had a lot to say about this movie. True. It was pretty long, yeah. So this is the first time I've seen it, and I think that plays a big role in how I feel about it because I've heard about this movie you know, for like 20 years now um, and how great it was and everything. And I don't know. It was all right. That's my hot take. Or to use Garrett's incredible quote, you know, I get it. Uh, I don't know that I am as obsessed with it as the general horror community, but I understand. Uh, I understand it and I like understand why people like it. And I feel like if I've seen this when I was younger, I would have really liked it. Uh, but now it was like a little slapsticky for me. But, you know, it was fine. Well, that's my my first question. Mark, when did you first see this movie? What age were you? Hmm. Okay, so my introduction to the series was Army of Darkness. Uh, on VHS, I went over to my friend's house who rented it for the weekend. 
uh, walked in and they were all sitting around watching this movie with this goofball cartoon character come to life with a chainsaw on his hand, fight and quip. And I was like, that's amazing. I am in love with this man. And I have been ever since. And that's just how it is. And, and I guess that's going to be a draw or a repulse. And it sounds like two of my co-hosts on here aren't so much into it. But that to me is the draw of the franchise is Bruce Campbell hamming it up. I didn't know there was a prequel to Army of Darkness for many years. I thought it was a standalone film. And once I found out there was a movie called Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 that preceded this, it blew my fucking mind and I had to find them immediately. And this would have been in high school. Kids, no internet. You can't go look things up when in, in the 90s. You know, when you like something, that's, that's just it. You like your thing. If the box doesn't tell you that it's a, a movie from another franchise or what have you, you're just left with that unless you got a friend or an older relative to fill you in on this stuff. So yeah, once a buddy of mine in high school is like, what do you like army of darkness better than evil dead too? And I was like an evil what now? What is that? <laughs> and he's like, bro, you don't know what evil dead is. I was like, fuck. And you're telling me that bit in front of army of darkness is its own movie. So yeah, I went and found it at the, at the Hollywood video. It's that, I love the cover too. It's that skull with the human eyes just looking at you. Agreed. It's very off putting. I think it's a great box. Great cover. Great cover. Um, so yeah, I mean, I fell in love with it immediately and who knows, maybe I would love to know someone else that has fallen in love with this movie who's seen it as recent as John. Cause I wonder, is it because I was introduced to it way back then and I've just grown up with it and you know, I can recite line after line while I watch it could be. I wasn't asking you to defend your opinion. I know that you love this franchise and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I was just curious when you saw it because much to John's point, I had never seen Evil Dead 2. And I, I, I may have mentioned on the podcast before when I first saw Evil Dead 1 and Army of Darkness, but I too was also introduced to, I believe, Army of Darkness first. It just missed the mark for me. Like it was this goofy house two level like horror movie. And I was like, I don't get the hype because it had been hyped up to me quite a bit. And then I remember going back and seeing Evil Dead 1 and being like, okay, I, I get what they're kind of going with. I don't think I'd ever seen Evil Dead 2 until today. So this was my first watch of Evil Dead 2, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. And it, I think it just hits different. Knowing what we know and knowing how much this has been built up over the years, because it came off, I don't know, I'm very torn on this film. I wouldn't say I disliked it, but there was parts where I was like, oh, cool, this is rad. I get, I get why Raimi is, you know, a super badass. And then those other times I was like, I would rather be doing anything else with my life right now. It was just like a roller coaster the entire time. So I was just curious when you saw it, because I feel like if I had been younger and exposed to this, like before I had really been exposed to like a lot of like really legit horror, I would have enjoyed it probably a little bit more. Okay. I am uh, curious, John, why did it take you so long to get to this franchise? You, you, you are a lover of Drag Me to Hell. You've loved Evil Dead Remake 2013. There is a photo of you with the three men in this movie. <laughs> and it took to today for you to watch this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yesterday. All that's accurate, Mark. Uh, uh, I can't dispute your facts. I just never got around to it, I guess. Yeah, he's rewatching Paranormal Activity 3. He's redoing Bioshock 1, 2, and 3. Come on, bro. There's so much you've yet to experience. I know. <laughs> Here's the thing. It wasn't always a global pandemic. So, uh, you know, I watched that my first opportunity. Now, also, I think, oh man, now I know this is going to get me dragged. To hell? 
but I probably would watch Paranormal 3 over Evil Dead 2 if given two <laughs> options. You're going to get dragged to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, you know, I did like the first one. I watched the first one on Friday and then this one on Saturday. And I like the first one better. I don't know if that's controversial, but I thought that was a more put together film. I did too. I liked the first Evil Dead more than I liked uh, Evil Dead 2. I will say this though. I think the remake was better than all three of these films. Incur. And I think that's just because I expected a, a scarier horror film than what I got with this franchise. And I, I don't expect Army of Darkness to be scary. I, I know what Army of Darkness is. I get its campiness and that's part of its charm. So I never expected that to be like super scary. But from the cover and all I had heard about Evil Dead 2 and had been built up as this like, oh, this rad horror film, you've got to see it. And, you know, it's like I expected so much more horror. And what I got was literally a Looney Tunes cartoon with a grown man. I don't know who built that up for you because they built it up wrong, dude. Even Roger Ebert in 1987 was like, this is a comedy disguised as a horror movie and a, a gory movie. And he gave it three stars. I'm not going to disagree with you. Someone someone built, I mean, the, the horror community let me down on this one. They, they built it up incorrectly for me because right. <laughs> I expected so much more. And I guess that's because I had been tainted by the modern remake. I had been tainted by the first one which in my opinion was a little bit scarier, a little bit more serious than what we got. I mean, there's still some campy shit in the first one, but yeah, it was more like house one level campy. And then two just was like, when the monster at the end is screaming, they use a chimp noise. I was just like, we have monkeys yelling, like what the hell is going on? Um, so again, I think my expectations were just set incredibly wrong for this film, but I have a plenty of notes on all the stuff this movie did right, though, because, again, like I said, I am 50-50 on this. There's, like I said, there's parts that I'm just like, uh, but there's so much cool shit in this movie that I'm just like, and you, you know what, what I'm happy about is all that cool shit in this movie came back later and, like, dragged me to hell. It came back later in some of the other stuff he's done. So it's almost like he, like, built off the good stuff, which I really appreciate. Well, let me just set the record straight. If anybody out there hasn't seen this and they have this vision of what this franchise is, I'll, I'll lay it to you straight. Evil Dead 1, mostly horror, maybe a gag. Evil Dead 2, 50-50-ish. More gags, more Looney Tune uh, over the top, Bruce Campbell, and then some horror bits. And then Army of Darkness, way more camp humor and stuff with a tiny bit of horror. Okay, so that's how it progresses. And then Ash versus Evil Dead, three seasons of basically Bruce Campbell hamming it up. And uh, uh, they actually do inject a little bit more horror. So I'd say it'd be in between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. So there you go. If you have an expectation that the Evil Dead 2 is the scariest thing ever, it's not. <laughs> well, and so I was thinking of the remake. And so that's my first introduction, effectively, to the Evil Dead universe. So I thought the movies would be at least similar to the remake. Uh, but the remake's way more gory and scary than any of the Evil Dead movies. Well, I've only seen one and two. But considering that you said three is even more comedy than two, uh, I'm going to say the remake is scarier than any of them by like a mile. Army of Darkness is not a horror movie in in. Well, I don't want to say that it's um, it is very much a, a comedic tour de force with, you know, horror elements, um, but it's it's enjoyable. It's very campy. It's very schlocky. It reminds me of a lot of like early 60s kind of, you know, monster movies um, mixed with like this, like 
late 90s smarm that was just like rampant and like leading men at the time. And it, it, it hits on all cylinders if that's what you know you're going into. But yeah, as far as the Evil Dead movies, I always thought those were the horror ones. And then the and then the franchise went kind of fun and campy. I had no idea they delved so much into that that well in this second movie. And I have a couple questions. And tell me if we need to get into the plot before I ask this. But at what point, Mark, did Evil Dead 1's recap end in this movie and the second one officially start? Uh, when he gets hit by the force when he's leaving the house. That's my canonical answer. I don't know if that's the official answer, but you know what I'm talking about, right? When it's coming out and he gets thrown into the sky and he's doing all the loop-de-loops through the trees and then he smacks headfirst into the tree and then gets turned into an evil dead, uh, deadite or whatever you want to call him. Okay. Um, to me, that's when evil dead two officially begins, but yeah, we'll get to that. This is my favorite horror movie of all time. Along with the thing, I'll just put that there. Uh, I think it's fantastic. It's infinitely rewatchable to me. I love just about everything about it. Now, it does slow down a little bit when, for me when it introduces the additional characters that show up to the cabin, but the first 25 minutes of the film, I think, are just some of the best stuff that I've seen. I absolutely love how Bruce Campbell can just own the screen and watch him do those facial expressions of fear, and it just works for me. Um, I, I absolutely love that stuff. So I would put that one on top. Now, do I like it more than Army of Darkness? Nostalgia is going to tell me no, but I think I would put it higher than Army of Darkness, even though I love that movie to pieces. So I guess we can't really talk about this movie without mentioning Evil Dead and how we got to Evil Dead 2. Okay. Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi went to high school together, uh, pre-79. They went to high school together in Michigan. They did a short film called Within the Woods, and it was basically a really bare-bones Evil Dead that they were trying to get funding for. Eventually, they got that money. They shot Evil Dead, and it went to the theaters and was a surprise success, um, you know, because it was a non-rated film. It was considered a video nasty, but it still made $2.66 million on a $375,000 budget, which is respectable. Um, kind of gets Sam Raimi's foot in the door of making some movies. Well, the next one they go off and do him and Bruce Campbell start working with the Coen brothers on a movie called crime wave. Well, this movie was an absolute flop. It didn't make any money. And when that happens to a director that could end your career, movie number two, doing as badly as that one did for the budget, you know, what are you going to do at that point? Well, he's going to go back to the franchise that made him a little bit of money. And that's when they started production on evil dead Two. He didn't intend to go back to the franchise and kind of get labeled as a horror director. That wasn't his plan, but it was kind of a fallback. It's like, if I don't do it this time, I may not have another movie opportunity. Well, Evil Dead 2 got greenlit um, and they moved into production and started making that. Now, the reason they did that, what I could be confusing to people that watch Evil Dead to Evil Dead 2 if they don't know about it, is they couldn't use any of the footage from Evil Dead 1 because it was made under a different studio. So that's why they just opted to redo like a 0.5 at the beginning to kind of get us back to where the story is, right? Because they were just like, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just redo it. Fuck it. And so they did. So they cut out a couple of characters. So instead of being a group of people like an Evil Dead 1 going to the cabin, it was just Ash and his girlfriend. Did you find that confusing, John? Back-to-back viewings? Uh, yeah, definitely. Coming, you know, watching one one day and the other the, the other day, uh, the next day, I was like, what is happening? Thankfully, you gave me a like a heads up, so I wasn't totally caught unprepared, but it was still a little confusing. I was like, oh, 
I could have just not watched Evil Dead 1 and jumped in right here and been just as caught up with things. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was a good thing you did because you ended up liking the first one better anyway. So Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> These were put out by the uh, company Renaissance Pictures. Now, that's actually a, a, a production company put together by Sam Raimi, Robert Tapert, and Bruce Campbell. And I grew up watching this Renaissance logo and I'm just like, wait, I haven't seen that in a long time. Well, it turns out anything Sam Raimi does has that attached to it. I, I think I've been influenced by Raimi brother content my entire life because I was also an avid fan of Hercules Legendary Journeys. And guess who worked on that? The fucking Raimi brothers. <laughs> so Is that the TV show? Yeah, the TV show with Kevin Sorbo. I, yeah, I used to watch that in the 90s. They did that too? Oh God. Yeah, they're involved with that. And that's why Bruce Campbell shows up as Autolycus King of Thieves throughout the series as a guest character in that and Xena. Whoa. Like, it wasn't until later on that I realized like, oh shit, it's the same guys. I've been watching their content my whole life and <laughs> they shaped my fucking mental state. You know, they're, it's their fault. Huh. Learn something new today. Don't go back and watch Hercules Legendary Journeys. It's a little painful now. Uh, you you think some of the effects here don't hold up or Spider-Man 2002 don't hold up? Oh, boy. Television uh, Hercules does not hold up very well. Also, Kevin Sorbo is a giant tool. So fuck that guy and his career. Yeah, he's a piece of garbage now. Don't, uh, don't meet your heroes, I guess is <laughs> what they say, right? Yep. <laughs> Disappointed! Um, right. So <clears throat> Evil Dead 2 comes out. The budget is much bigger this time, 3.5 million, ends up making 10.9 million, which is respectable. It made money. And I think this movie has a lot of great special effects. I don't know how you guys feel about them. They are a little dated, like some of the animatronic thing, not animatronics, but the, uh, the claymated stuff, the stop motion things. Like when Linda comes out of the grave. Fucking loved it. <laughs> loved it. The moment that that's, I mean, yes, it was stupid campy. And I was like, Oh, we are back to the Ray Harryhausen level shit. I mean, see, that's the thing is that's the parts of the movie. When we got into the practical effects, all of those I was just in for. But then it was attached to a grown man with a jaw like a snowplow, like basically doing three stooges sticks with a fucking hand. And I'm like, dude, just whoop, 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 whoop already. <laughs> like, let's go. Like. Let's get back to this sick fucking practical effects stuff that was going on. Are you telling me you don't like the Three Stooges? Is that what you're telling me right now? I love the, I love Three Stooges. I'm just saying like <laughs> when you're doing that much physical comedy with a hand and you don't do some Three Stooges like homage handwork in there, you've wasted an opportunity. Um, but no, I mean, I, I fucking loved every time they dropped one of those um, effects on us. Like when he's flying through the forest spinning at the beginning fuck that i hated that are you kidding me i fucking love that effect man i think it looks so cool it, i mean it does look cool but it does not fit like the tone of what this like had been set up so far i mean we have this dude kind of like huh you're like okay but then he's like flying like 75 miles down the, the you know the forest and not hitting a thing it's like it's like the fucking race on indoor you know, on the speeder bikes. And I'm just like, yo, let's get it on. Let's go. Like those effects I didn't care for, but all the practical effects were so phenomenal in this. I will say that that crane shot, the, the spinning shot was done. He, he was attached to a crane that was driving down the dirt road and they had a line of people 
with uh, tree branches and they filmed it at uh, one to two frames a second. And they just walked by and slapped him in the face with all those branches and then would fall back in line and slap him again. <laughs> they did that shot all day for that 15 seconds of uh, special effect. That's pretty impressive. That's that's impressive. I consider it to be like, oh, the freaking Kandarian demon entity spirit has got him in a hold and it's fucking him up. You know what I mean? So I, just, I, I think it works for me. Here's what I'll say about how I viewed the special effects. Uh, iTunes has this in 4K Dolby Vision, uh, and that is not how you want to experience this movie. Uh, go back and find it like on DVD. Uh, it's too sharp. You could see all like the matte lines and everything. Like it just, uh, I mean, I thought it was fine because I knew it was from like 1987 or whatever. But ooh, it looks rough in like uh, hyper definition. See, I watched I watched it in 4K also, but I didn't really have that problem with that stuff. It was more just. It felt like, I don't know, it felt like two different visions being pushed together in one. And it is like, again, that's why I'm 50-50 on it. I feel like I had that experience when I watched Back to the Future on Blu-ray for the first time. And, and they're out there doing the, the, <laughs> the time car test at the mall. And when they'd get up close on Christopher Lloyd's face, I could just see all the makeup lines where they glued all the old man makeup to his face. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, it's ruined. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Again, not meant for HD or like, you know, they didn't know about it in the 80s. Like who thinks the head of that like 40 years from now, everybody's going to be able to see everything. The nose hairs, you better clip them before you get on camera. Watch out. Uh, John's going to make fun of you on a podcast later. Everyone knows it's the worst thing that could happen to somebody. So. <laughs> right. uh, the special effects team. My God, do we have some names here? We've got Greg Nicotero. Uh, he would go on to do Creep Show 2. Uh, he's working on the Creep Show now. The special effects are such an integral part and such an amazingly well done part of this uh, movie. Like, even in the goofy, like when the hands running through the wall, cat mouse style, like, I, I did not care for that scene. I thought it was kind of like cheesy and dumb. But visually and special effects wise, man, they did such an amazing job. Like, so I definitely think we should, should call out some of those names. Yeah. So yeah, Greg Nicotero worked on Predator, Phantasm 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, From Beyond, Army of Darkness, Dr. Giggles, Pumpkinhead 2, uh, Little Nicky. I don't know why I said that. It was just in the list. <laughs> don't you talk bad about Little Nicky. I hate that movie. Moving on. <laughs> Bubba Hotep, Cabin Fever, Tremors 4, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and it goes on and on, dude. So this dude, he's still working today. I know he's been doing a lot of the uh, Walking Dead stuff. He's been doing a lot of the Creep Show for Shudder. Uh, so Greg Nicotero, Mark Showstrom, also been doing stuff. He worked on Beastmaster, Videodrome, Nightmare on Elm Street 1, uh, From Beyond, Witchboard, Phantasm 2, Poltergeist 3, Dick Tracy, 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 <laughs> Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, and others. Um, but I'm not done. We got more guys. Shannon Shea, he's worked on Austin Powers and Goldmember, The Cell, 13 Ghosts, From Dust Till Dawn, House on Haunted Hill, The Jungle Book, uh, Phantoms, Planetary. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, though. We also got Robert Kurtzman, and uh, he's done. Bride of Reanimator, 976 Evil, Night of the Creeps, Misery, People Under the Stairs, Pulp Fiction, Into the Mouth of Madness, Scream, Spawn, Wishmaster, like, you know what I mean? Like, these guys would go on to do so many things. An incredible amount of talent. Uh, but there is one particular film you called out in that list, which I think is long due for a rediscovery. 
People Need to Stop Sleeping on Bubba Hotep. That was a great film. That was really good. Oh, yeah. Also starring Bruce Campbell. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Howard Berger, Boogie Nights, Scream 2, Vampires, The Faculty, The Haunting, The Animal with Rob Schneider. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to really vary it up so I don't keep reading the same movies. They've done a lot of the same ones. So if you're like, Mark didn't mention fucking Kill Bill 1 and 2 and Serenity. I'm sorry. It's on here. Like, just go look them up. These guys have done a lot of shit. I think that everyone, it's a well-known fact, everyone when they first get to Hollywood is like, man, I hope I can get into a Schneider film. <laughs> yeah. No, he did it. <laughs> he lived the dream. Now, Tom Sullivan, Garrett, he's the one that did all the animated stuff. Like, uh, the, probably one of my favorite effects of the entire movie is the opening scene where they reveal the Book of the Dead and it comes out of that red ocean and it starts writing itself and like the face starts moving. That was all done in studio as well. I fucking love that effect. Legend has it that it was written by the Dark Ones, Necronomicon Ex Mortis, roughly translated, Book of the Dead. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. It was written long ago, when the seas ran red with blood. It was this blood that was used to ink the book. In the year 1300 AD, the book disappeared. And maybe that's setting the tone that is ultimately disappointed by you guys later, because that is like a very creepy opening, right? Yes, uh, that was a, that was a very strong opening combined with that poster. I was I was 30 seconds into the movie. I was like, OK. I'm intrigued. Yeah, that intro uses one of the things that I love more than any. If you want to sell me on a backstory, use the phrase, the seas ran red with blood. <laughs> I love the idea of a blood sea. Like blood oceans are the fucking coolest idea. Like you have to wonder like what level of like pure shenanigans was going on to make the seas run red. Um, when it said that, I was like, oh shit, we're about to get into some like really dark backstory here. And yeah, the the weird stop motion effects with kind of like the faded translucent ghosting and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to get some of that like deeper horror backstory that kind of is teased with the first one. Nope. We get a grown man playing with himself in a cabin for 40 minutes. So <laughs> that's not fair. He's fighting the Kandarian demons <laughs> that are opened for the book of the dead brought in and it's been fucking everything up. Look, ca Canadian demons are not. All right. <laughs> he needs to basically tighten it up a little bit. OK, that's all I'm saying. It's not from Canada. Kandarian. <laughs> You're very sorry about all this. Yeah, they're always sorry about all this. <laughs> Doug Beswick. He did the stop motion bit with Linda that you love so much, Garrett. Rick Catazone, he was the one that worked on the stop motion effects for the hand when he fights his hand. And I will still stand by that that's a better sequence than idle hands. I'll agree. Hmm? I'll agree. Okay. Okay. Just checking the temperature on that one. That might be a hot take for the other people on the hot mics. The technical practical work in this film is phenomenal. And then there's, and the, the demon designs, oh my God. We're talking like legitimately scary looking demons. Um, every time like something like that would pop up, I'd be like, okay, cool. The movie's now finally taking hold. We're, we're, we're where we need to be with this. And then it just kind of reverts back to this kind of like can't be movie. Bum, 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 bum. I'm just like, dude, come on. Um, but no, it's 
I, yeah, shout outs to all the effects team because those the demons alone, uh, Henrietta down in the basement, I think that's the mom, right? Yeah, and that is my absolute favorite uh, demon in this movie is Henrietta, played by Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother. Okay, I was about to say, that kind of looks like a dude. I was wondering if that was a dude. I was like, no offense, Henrietta, but... <laughs> yeah, that was Ted Raimi. Uh, John, that's the other guy in the photo that you're in, uh, if you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> Ted, <laughs> oh. Ted Raimi wore the, the mother's suit because they initially wanted to cast a female to do it, but Sam was like, oh no, we're going to put this actor or actress through hell let's get my brother to do it <laughs> so <laughs> they threw the suit on him and no shit guys if you go watch the behind the scenes footage that suit was so fucking hot they have footage of them taking the foot off and dumping out pints of sweat Ugh. there are scenes in the movie if you slow down on henrietta's face sweat is pouring out of the ear of the costume while she's talking like that's how miserable it was in that suit yeah the same thing happened with the original ninja turtles movie yeah the, the behind the scenes stuff they talk about how the suits like weighed like 90 pounds or something like that and then they're like by the end of like a couple hours they would weigh like 180 pounds or some shit just to the amount of sweat that had built up inside of them no again the henrietta costume was phenomenal it's so creepy like when she first comes out of the ground with like the little stop motion worms i was like oh no but when they actually showed the uh, the prosthetic suit and it's like walking towards um bruce campbell i was like holy shit we've got legit demons here and then when they show the face just through the crack in the the floor which was a nice nod to the uh, the remake. I appreciate them putting that in there. They uh, that face was so scary. Like when it's talking through the hole, man. I was like, this is the point. These are the points in the movie where I was just like so sold, and I, I was like, I get why everyone loves these flicks. My favorite line of the movie is said by Henrietta, and it's when she goes, "Someone's in my fruit cellar," and I'm like. What's a fruit cellar? <laughs> the cellar you keep your fruit in. I usually keep my fruit in the pantry. I don't bury it in the cellar. It's going to go moldy. Oh, I thought she said someone ate my fruit salad. And I was like, <laughs> she's pissed. <laughs> my bad. Someone's in my fruit cellar. Someone with a fresh No, the fruit cellar is cool because it's underground, so you keep fruit there for long-term storage. Okay. I didn't know we had a fruit cellar salesman on the show today. Welcome back to this old cellar with John. What do I need to do to get you in a cellar today? <laughs> uh, make a tornado happen. I'll get in there immediately. <laughs> so real quick, before we, we jump too far into some of the random shit that's happening in this, because we're like, this is totally going to be a long episode, so strap in, listeners. Now, I have to ask, compared to the original film, because I remember the original one being scarier and less like kind of goofy, is it really that much goofier than the, the first movie? Or am I just remembering that wrong? I think John's going to be most qualified to answer that because he watched them back to back. But I would say yes. It's it's Sam Raimi's first movie. It's a lower budget. So I don't think the costume effects look nearly as good as they do here. But if you're looking for a more creepy movie, then Evil Dead 1 is going to be your bet. If you're not doing the 2013 one. Yeah. But uh, would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the second one is like, 75% more goofy. Like the first one is very, I wouldn't say by the numbers, but it's a tr it's much more of a traditional movie, number one. It feels like the story flows from beginning to middle to end. And yeah, it's just more of a straight horror movie. I mean, there's some comedy elements, of course, but nothing like in, like the 
hand fight in Evil Dead 2, for example, would be so out of place in Evil Dead 1, I feel like. Yeah, well, like when he's playing the piano out of nowhere, which I don't think he was really playing, and she's dancing behind him. Um, I didn't know if that was done just for the second movie, just to kind of give her the ability to dance in the woods when she comes back as a corpse. Um, there was also the the flashback to when the parents, the archaeological parents, um, find the Book of the Dead in the castle, which is the most well-lit castle I've ever seen in my life. Um, like they had torches and the torches were like overshadowed by the ambient light around them. That wasn't on a soundstage at all. <laughs> <laughs> the Book of the Dead, though, is still one of the one of the greatest, most iconic items from horror movies. Uh, that thing is recognizable. It's the Necronomicon is still totally rad. Well, Army of Darkness, there's three of them. So get ready for that, John. I hope you I hope you finish your journey and at least finish the series. I would like to. So I plan to. Uh, in our next recording, I'll let you know what I think of Army of Darkness. All right, so are we ready to dive into this? Give me some sugar, baby. They mention in this one that him and his girlfriend are squatting in this cabin. Like, he didn't get permission to be here. Like, how does one find a cabin in the woods and then decide just to, like, camp out? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, it, it's probably the most troubling point of the film is that uh, our two main characters here at the opening are squatters in breakers of the law but you're right garrett uh ash must have gotten a, a tuesday off of work uh at the shops smart shop s smart uh hardware store he works at and he must have gone out to the woods and decided he was going to go find one that was empty and then he was going to take his lady out there drink some wine play some piano and just relax in somebody else's home what are you doing well here's what i think happened mark uh we see that at ash's pretty comfortable with a shotgun you know later in the in the film ladies and gentlemen this is some of that classic john headcanon so brace yourselves uh, I, you know i'm not going to say this is my top tier but here's what i think we, we know that ash is pretty comfortable with a shotgun we see him use it very successfully at the end of the film which makes me think maybe ash is a hunter so he was out there hunting when he came across this cabin one day and was like oh this would be a perfect place to commit a felony <laughs> So I'm going to get my girlfriend and we're going to do some breaking and entering and then we're going to just live on these people's cabin. The character of Ash is questionable at multiple points of this movie. And this is where I put on my critique hat and my podcaster microphone badge. And this is where I start breaking down my favorite movie and things that I think are weird. I'm going to staple some of my own headcanon onto the back of yours like a human centipede <laughs> and say that maybe Ash is a murderer. Maybe this isn't the first decapitation he's done in that cabin. Did you see how fast he took her head off? What if she was playing a prank? I was just thinking that when he had to kill Lin is it Linda? Yeah, when he had to kill Linda, it was more like a fuck, I'm gonna have to kill her too. And less of like a oh no, I have to kill my girlfriend. So yeah, he was oddly calm. Yeah, he went, this is like his ninth girlfriend this month that he's taken out to that cabin and had to behead because <laughs> he keeps playing that fucking tape player. <laughs> yeah, that's a tremendous point, Mark. He dug that grave so fast. He's like, I know exactly where I can keep a body around here. It's going to be like Tokyo Gore Police where they just pan to the side of Ash and they keep revealing another <laughs> grave plot over and over and so many girlfriend crosses. Yeah, I would love for like a, a crazy retelling like of like the next season of Ash versus Evil Dead where you find out he's like oh yeah so here's my dark secret before I die and you're just like holy shit like that'd be absolutely nuts but I don't think we should do that because I think what kind of makes him endearing is the fact that he is kind of 
I don't want to say a bumbling idiot, but he definitely is kind of like not the smartest ax in the tool shed. Right. And let me just make a disclaimer right now. We're not taking into account all the story that has been included with Ash versus Evil Dead. We're just sticking to the movies right now. I know a lot of this stuff has been built upon and, and really fleshed out, but I haven't watched them in recent times. So I can't really add that in here. And I don't want to kind of spoil what we're talking about here. So listeners just know that I understand that there's more to what uh, to the storyline here than what we're digging into. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, Garrett. It, uh, that was just a fun like little thing that I was thinking of when he just lopped her head off so quickly. But you're, the way he reacts to her, and that's ultimately what brings him back from being a deadite, right? He finds the necklace that he gave her when they got to the cabin. He starts sobbing uncontrollably, and then he turns back into him nor, his normal self. So he's not a bad guy. He just happened to be squatting in the wrong place. Like, he should have found another cabin. Like, man, what a better night he would have had with Linda. Could have got a tent. Didn't even need a cabin. Well, she says, like, what do we do if the people who own this come back? And he's like, oh, we'll just tell them. Like, and she's like, what if they have a shotgun? And he's like, oh, no. We're, like, he just is so dismissive of, like, the sheer danger that you could be in squatting in some random person's cabin. And then you find, like, the Necronomicon shit. And you're still like, well, I guess we're doing this. Like, you're, you're done. Pack up your shit and go. He's so dismissive because Mark called it. He knows if those people come, they're just going to get murdered. He's like, well, <laughs> if they the people who own the cabin come, I'm just going to have to kill them, babe. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> I even know where I could dig their bo- their graves. <laughs> While they're in the cabin, they come across the book, like Garrett said, and there's a tape recorder that they turn it on. And the professor who found this thing on soundstage set B in the back of the Paramount Studios, as Garrett mentioned earlier, he starts reciting the book. And if you're unfamiliar, this recording of the the ancient language is just enough to open a portal of hell and allow something in. So for the rest of the movie, you're going to be chased by the camera. So I need to ask Garrett right now, who has gone on record multiple times as hating POV killer cam. That's like a large part of this movie, dude. Did it bother you? Yep. It sure as hell did. And (laughs) honestly, like I was okay with some of it because I was like, oh, this is kind of like, you know, kind of cheesy effects. I'm okay with them. The part that bothered me is when we went into like demon cam or monster cam or whatever you want to call it um, in this situation, it went on forever. When we first go through the house, we go through every possible room it's like a fucking like family circus like cartoon where little Billy runs through the entire neighborhood and you follow the dotted line. I don't know why I made that reference. That's an old ass reference. The family who says everybody under 30. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it went on for so long and I was OK with using it as a device throughout the movie to kind of indicate, OK, here comes the evil. Um But man, when they're chasing them through the house, it chases them through every room of the house. When they're chasing them outside, we have to go through the car, outside the car, back through the car. And then we finally get to Ash. And I'm like, bro, just I get it. Like, let's 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 cut it down. So it bothered me a little bit. It bothered me less as a device this time and more as an execution in this film. But yeah, wasn't a huge fan. I think Garrett touched on my number one complaint with this film. So I'm just going to get it out of the way now so I don't keep harping on it as we go through the plot. While the movie itself isn't very long, each individual scene feels like it goes on 
forever. It is like they did not have 90 minutes worth of stuff and they're like, we're going to need to stretch this out. Yes. So there's just parts where it's like, oh, you definitely could have cut like the last 10 seconds of this movie to make it tighter. And it feels like every scene is that way. I don't think so, but that's uh, that's my bias talking. I, I know what you're speaking of, like the scene where he's sitting in the forest and they do a 360 spin of the whole forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that could be cut down. Yeah, it's very overindulgent in certain aspects. And, you know, I, this is something that we see a lot of early filmmakers do. You know, they, they leave too much in. It's like, we, we got it. Like, honestly, when they do the 360 through the woods, I would have been okay with that if we had just cut back to... Um, Campbell's face a few times in the mix, like break up that like singular long ass shot. Um, and then later on in later movies he does, he's, he has better like, you know, grasp of these types of things. So I think that was just like a, an amateur director type situation, but yeah. I really don't have a problem with those long POV shots, Garrett, because if he, I think it adds to the relentlessness of this evil force that's trying to get Ash. And yeah, it's like every room that it goes through, it doesn't know everything. Ash is able to hide. And then the, and then you watch the entity kind of look around and be like, well, fuck it, I'm out of here. And then zaps out of the door. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I enjoy all that stuff. But I can see where like a newcomer or someone that hadn't seen before and be like, man, this is going on for a while. Yeah. And again, this we don't have to go back into it, but I think this is also just the way it was presented to John and I and also the order and the time frames that we came to this. Uh, I think if I had seen this much earlier in my life, it would have been a very different, um, a different take. So he gets infected by the infected by the um I guess it's the the deadites, right? Or the deadites not the force. Is that something different? I just kind of refer to that as the evil dead when it's uh, uh, in the spirit form and it starts infecting everybody. They don't start calling them deadites until Army of Darkness. But the very last scene, don't they call him a deadite? Right. So I guess it's technically referenced in, in this movie. Right. Well, I guess what I mean is like we don't get that term until he goes back to the Middle Ages. Fair. Okay. That's that's probably a better... Uh, actually... <laughs> <laughs> let me... Let me uh pull a John here and cut to the end because I have a question about the ending because the ending is definitely a direct setup for army of darkness. And the fact that he gets sucked through the portal, the sky portal and gets shot back into shot to wherever the hell he is, which seems to be like medieval times with demons and stuff like that. And that kind of actually plays into earlier in the movie when Annie is talking about the, the prophecy, they show a little like shitty stick drawing of a guy in a blue shirt, with a uh, with a thing over his head, and they're like, there was a hero that like you know took out the deadites back in the day, and he's like he didn't do a very good job, and that's kind of like a, a really kind of cool foreshadowing of what's going to happen in uh, Army of Darkness. But um, do you, was the Army of Darkness already planned, or did he write this ending like that, and then it just happened to be like, hey, we can build off that. I think at some point somebody asked them what the end of a sequel would be and they decided it'd be fun to throw him back into the Middle Ages. So I think that was always uh, kind of in the back of his mind when they were writing the script for Evil Dead 2. There was no green light for Army of Darkness whenever they threw that in. That could have been the end of the franchise and that would be just it. He's stuck in the Dark Ages forever, you know? Okay, that's that's actually really cool. I actually really appreciated the fact that like the, it ended on this like, well, he got thrown back in time and that kind of fulfilled the prophecy that was talked about earlier in the movie. Bada bing, bada boom, we're done. I really respected that. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. They already knew they were going to make Army of Darkness. This is one of those cheesy, like, back to the future, like, wait, Marty, we got to go back again. You're just like, all right, calm down. (laughs) 
No, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, they moved to a third studio for Army of Darkness. So each movie is made by somebody else. Oh, wow. So no, they, they, they had no guarantees they were going to get to make that uh, Middle Ages movie. Well, that's pretty cool then. So uh, as we said, uh, Ashley gets overtaken by the evil dead. And he's spun through the forest and he hits a tree and he falls down into some muck. Uh, I absolutely love this scene. He's face first in this watery mud and he splashes out and all of a sudden it reveals that he's now been possessed by the evil dead. Uh, The evil dead takes a person and it disfigures their features, makes them look demonic and they have like fully white eyes. Um, Not so much like rotted flesh, you know what I mean? But just kind of twisting features into a very snarling face uh, with some some gross looking teeth. So he's out there and it's like, I don't know about you guys, but we were like, oh shit, didn't expect the main character to get overtaken like this after he just lopped off his girlfriend's head. But then the sun comes out. Sun comes out and it washes away the evil dead and then he becomes normal again. <laughs> Are we talking about the sun that is about the same distance from the earth as the moon in this shot? Because that thing fills like the entirety of the sky. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, no way. Yeah, it was, it was very big. It was, it was su- the sun was on supernova mode that day. Uh, and that's how I was able to wash the evil dead out. Now, I am not going to sit here and defend on why he's able to switch back when no one else is, apparently. But that is a little gripe that you guys can have if you want. Well, did we see anyone else in the daytime? Mm. I don't think so. The movie takes place in one night. So maybe the other people would have switched back if they had gotten to the sun. Or secondly, we know Ash is the chosen one. So maybe he's got some sort of innate deadite resistance you know he's got to like roll a natural 20 and he can fight back oh D references i like <laughs> okay i like that john that's that'll answer that but yeah um if anybody can switch back then ash is gonna have a lot to answer for we just put all these people in pens until the sun comes up and then they're cured uh, there's a lot of unwanted death on Dash's hands. Well, we it's it's almost they're only back while the sun's up, right? Because then when it's nighttime, even though it's not necessarily exactly sun up and sundown, there's a little bit of a uh, smudge on either you know side of things. But eventually, in the nighttime, you switch back. Yeah. So this gets a little messy. Yeah, he does. He does revert. I think once you have been touched by the evil dead, I think it's always with you. And I think that is why later on Ash's hand goes bad because he was already hit by the force at the start of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you're right. Maybe it only is allowed to to consume a human, take them over and send their spirit to hell and really animate their bodies during the nighttime. Because, yeah, he got he got taken over right at the crack of dawn. So maybe it just wasn't done yet. As, as we then realize Ash is hit by the whammy, he is now reverted back after looking into a supernova in the sky that is about 40 minutes away from him. Um, he turns back into regular um, Ash, falls asleep on the ground for what seems like hours and hours and hours. And I think we're supposed to get the intent that uh, most of the day has passed at that point. We cut to an airport where a plane arrives and a woman gets off. And this is Annie. This is the daughter of the um, the archaeological parents. She comes back from a journey where she uncovered more pages of the, the Necronomicon. And she meets, and I guess that big, tall, blonde guy is her brother? 
Is it her brother? I thought it was like her boyfriend. I thought it was like an assistant. <laughs> of so, so of some undeterminate relationship. Okay. I usually forget he's even in this movie until I watch it. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's in this movie. <laughs> Evil Ed is what he's referred to as. So she meets a guy who looks like Rocky from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and then they are both going to go back to the cabin. And she asks, like, have you talked to my dad? Where was he at on the the deciphering of the Necronomicon. And he's like, I don't know. I haven't heard from them in a while, but there's no phones out there. So I guess we'll find out when we get there. They start heading out there and the bridge is down. The bridge has been like torn up and ripped up by the evil dead. So access to the cabin area is off limits, but they run into another couple, um, Joe Bob in his overalls and sassy girlfriend. Number one, Jake and Bobby Joe. He yells Bobby Joe about 800 times. <laughs> Bobby Joe. At one point, I thought he was calling her Sloppy Joe. And I was like, I would love if her name was Sloppy Joe. Just a little nickname, you know, between two lovers. <laughs> For all the listeners out there who are going to be fucking tonight after listening to this episode, call your significant other Sloppy Joe and see how that goes for you. <laughs> also, if you're listening to our podcast and then having sex right afterwards, you've made mistakes in your life. She convinces Jake Busey to uh, carry their luggage and show them the back path to the cabin. Ash is still fighting the monsters and everything. So he goes back to the cabin and he hears, you know, some noise outside and he looks out the cabin window and we get treated to some incredible stop motion animation of his girlfriend climbing out of the shallow grave that he dug uh, and doing a little dance with a tree. And it's exactly like it sounds. It's like this really gross gray corpse doing uh, like I don't know what you call it, ballet, I guess. I don't know what kind of dancing it is. Looks like ballet-ish. Yeah, ballet-esque dancing. Um, and then in one of my favorite parts of the movie, she jumps over a branch of this tree and like disappears into the forest. But they play the best scream sound ever. When she jumps off, uh, across this tree, she goes, ah! <laughs> uh, and it cracked me up. I was like, all right, that's really funny. I laugh at that every time. It sounds like the kind of scream where it's like, take two of these and your headache's gone. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then her head comes through the window and Ash gets in a fight with a uh, decapitated head. Um, and you'd think that he, this would be an easy fight. I, like if someone had asked me, Hey, could you take just somebody's head? I probably would have said yes. Turns out it's actually really difficult. Well, it's, it's biting into the meat of his hand, right? Like yeah. right in there between the thumb and the finger where it, like, that's going to really hurt. But, and she ain't letting go. No, he ends up getting right. Super bit. And he takes her to the shed and then her body busts in holding the chainsaw. <laughs> that will soon become very important to Ash. Um, and he manages to get her to kind of accidentally chainsaw herself. Um, so he chainsaws her body in half, then he takes her head, puts it in a vice, and chainsaws her head in half. And that's the end of poor Linda. This scene is great looking too. Like the the execution of this scene, the moment the, the headless body comes in with the chainsaw, the way that's done, the way that's shot, and the, the lighting they use, the red lighting they use to kind of convey the blood effects, mm-hmm. so well done. Like, definitely by far. Sh- I love that scene. Yeah, it showcases, like, Raimi's, like, pure grasp of, like, cinematography. I feel the worst for Linda. Out of any character in the first or second movie, I feel the absolute worst for her. She got seduced into this cabin 
that she probably didn't even know, you know, he wasn't allowed to go into until they were in the car. Uh, <laughs> she's alive for maybe 20 minutes to enjoy this cabin. And then her whole life is just turned upside down. Uh, and then she ends up getting chainsawed in half. What a real shitty day for her. And let's be real, that trinket that Ash gives her as a gift is a piece of shit. It's like a little tiny like glass window mirror thing that he probably found in a Cracker Jack box. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I was like, did he get that out of a cereal box? It it was was not worth dying for. Like if Linda could go back in time, I think she'd be like, keep the 99 cent chain. I'll keep my head. Drop me off at the bridge. I'll take an Uber home. I'm not feeling this right now. (laughs) Um, one of the tricks that the evil dead possessed like to do is they start turning back in or reverting into their human form to plea with their, uh, tormented, right? So at this point where her head is in a vice, she turns into regular Linda and goes, please, Ash, please don't hurt me. You swore, you swore that we'd always be together. I love you. Like it's just a head talking and you're like, wait a minute, lady, you don't have a body anymore. <laughs> and you can see it on his face. He started getting anguished in a little bit then. And then she reverts back into the devil, uh, deadite form. And she's like, even now your sweet Linda's soul is burning in hell. And it's like, you almost had him deadite. What are you doing? <laughs> that, and then he proceeds to chainsaw the head in half. That's why we need to basically make sure that, you know, we really stress to our audience that relationships are complex and it's important to be honest. Honesty is very important in a relationship. So when your woman or husband or man or whatever um, asks you, you know, like, you'd never hurt me, right? You need to respond with the correct answer of not unless you're possessed by a demon and biting my fucking hand off. At that case, just be straight and be like, yeah, I'm going to punch the shit out of you. It's important. Yeah. It's not that complicated. Like, look. You know, like that's the first on my, my fucking Tinder bio. It says like, you know, like like charming, witty. I will punch you in the face if you're a fucking demon. I mean, straight up. I mean, it's I don't know why we're having this conversation. It seems basic to me. First date conversation. Have you talked to your loved ones about what to do in case of a Kandarian demon attack? You should. Mm hmm. Canadian demon attack. It's right after stop, drop and roll and tell them where the back entrances are in your family safe word. You should follow it up with what to do in case demons attack. It's very common sense things, people. Uh, considering how much time they spent on stop, drop and roll in elementary school, I really thought getting on fire, like setting myself on fire was a matter of if, not when. <laughs> or like, or when, not if, rather. Like, you just were guaranteed to be set on fire. We used to go over stop, drop and roll, like, fucking once a week. John, I think you're underestimating the power of stop, drop and roll. We fixed it, baby! <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, maybe that's it. No more. You know, and before the 90s, people were just catching on fire constantly like uh and then we solved it well before that it was duck and cover baby (laughs) and listeners in case it wasn't obvious that was a lot of sarcasm my tinder profile does not say charming and witty i'm not either of those things so just so you know that was all tongue in cheek (laughs) first you want to kill me now you want to kiss me blow he chainsaws linda and we think oh boy ash is finally gonna get a break but no, this is where we get that cool scene with a deer head starts laughing at him, which I thought the deer head laughing and animating was really cool. But then when the books and the lamps started laughing and he starts hilariously slapping his knee and laughing along with him, I was like, OK, you took a perfectly good scene and ruined it. Well, let's let's talk about this whole this whole portion right here is probably one of my favorite parts of the movie, right? 
the uh, the part where he's sitting in the like the chair is kind of rocking on its own. And then he starts to freak out and he's losing his mind at this point. He's been fighting this thing for 24 hours plus, And now he's like in this cabin and he can't leave because the bridge is all curled up and busted. And here's the sun going down and he's got to go through night number two. And while he's in there, he picks up the little charm that he gave Linda earlier and he's reminded of her and that he killed her. And he goes up to a mirror and he's talking to himself and he's trying to convince himself he's going to be okay To me, one of the best sequences of the film is when the mirror version of Ash comes out of the mirror and grabs him and goes, you think we're going to be okay? We just chopped our girlfriend's head off, man. And then it cuts to him choking himself, representing that he's losing his mind, or at least he thinks he is. Which was great. That was so good, too, because when that actually was like, oh, there might be like some really deep psychological horror in this. Nope. That's the last time we encountered this. I agree. I did like that scene too, though. I thought that was a good one. He like falls out of the chair and the deer starts laughing at him. He starts laughing along with it because he's losing his mind. And then the whole cabin possessed by the evil dead or whatever it is, starts laughing at him too. I love that sequence because it shows him like almost going along with the crazy, you know, like space madness, Ren and Stimpy style. Like he's dancing with the lamp and the lamp stops when he stops. And then he starts slapping his knee because he's just, he's lost it. And then you watch on his face as he continues to laugh out loud. It turns into terror and anguish. It's like at that moment, he's just like, oh my God, this is just out of my mind. I can't handle this. And that's when the people... Uh, the archaeology kids in Bobby Joe and Jake show up, make a sound, and he fires the rifle outside the window or outside the in through the door, grazing Bobby Joe's arm. So uh, for me, that sequence worked perfectly, man. I love it, and I love all the books laughing at him because I don't know, it just represents him losing it. It, it does represent that, and again, I I thought that psychological horror aspect of um, if that had been maintained throughout the rest of the movie, I would have loved that so much more. If so much more of this was like in his mind or is it in his mind and had us questioning that throughout the, the events that were actually taking place, I would have loved that so much. But this moment comes across as like a moment from the Disney's haunted mansion ride where you're like, like stuck in a little car driving through a room and everything's laughing. You're like, Oh, that was, that was quirky. And then you move on to the next room. Um, you're right. It it is this very weighted, heavy, complex scene that, that portrays so much. And I, when he start when he, when you cut to him choking himself, I was like, Oh wow, this movie is so much deeper than I gave it credit for. Um, but then it's kind of over. And that was a real, that was a real bit of a bummer for me. I think if you would change the pitch of the laughter or the laughter itself that the rest of the items in the house are making, that would change a lot for you. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Everything came across as like a fucking kid's birthday party. And if it had been a little more maniacal and a little less like goofy, you're, you do, you nailed it. If it was a, a creepier laugh, I would have been way more, I would have been way more involved. Yeah. So now begins the idle hands portion of Evil Dead 2. Cause just as he's resting from uh, battling his uh, reincarnated ex wife, we see his hands start getting like black veins all through him. Or through it, and now it is in control of itself, and it immediately starts kicking the shit out of him. And he's like busting dishes over his head, 
and punching himself in the belly. It was a very, it's filmed like, uh, or they like sped up the film. So it wasn't shot at a high frame rate. It was shot normal and they just sped it up. So it looks kind of ridiculous too, to like add to this whole effect that's going on. And he sort of beats the shit out of himself for a while. And we get monster vision. So it's hand vision. I'm sure Garrett really appreciated it. It's like trying to drag his body to a, a, a cleaver to kill himself? Would he, now, is that suicide? Is Ash killing himself in this instance? <laughs> I don't think it counts as suicide because his hand is no longer a part of him. Yeah, must not be. Well, his hand's trying to kill him, and then Ash gets uh, a knife and just bam, right through the top of his hand to pin his hand to the floor, um, and then he chainsaws his hand off, which leads to an astonishing amount of blood shooting at his face. In my second favorite line in the film, when he stabs his hand, he goes, uh, Who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, like, the hand is, is, is chirping and making all kinds of creature sounds. Did that bother you too, Garrett? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan because the the, the creature sounds were <laughs> were random noises. Like when we get the the Evil Dead running through the house and stuff like that, it sounds like a DC twenty seven like jetliner. When the the monster at the end is screaming, it sounds like a chimpanzee going nuts. When the hands doing its thing, it sounds like squirrels from a fucking Disney cartoon like talking to it, like chitter chitter chitter, and it's like, oh my god, like whoever did the sound on this. Either they were in on the joke or they just were not trying. Hey, they only had so much money and they had nine weeks to shoot this over in uh, North Carolina. So uh, <laughs> they had to go to the stock sound guy and he's like, oh, I've got a, I got a two for one sale on all my National Geographic noises. You want them? <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad, actually. Um, I didn't mind the hand noises so much. It, mostly the, uh, the, the loud jet noise that the Evil Dead made in like Monster Vision mode. That was a bit oppressive at times. All right. Well, do I, do you guys like the uh, the hand bit? I I think it's absolutely iconic to the franchise. His hand getting evil, getting chainsawed off, and then you know flipping him flipping him off. You know, doing a little bit more comedy, and then he's trying to shoot it as it runs through the mouse hole in the wall and all that stuff. When it gets caught in the mouse trap, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> Me too. I I really enjoyed this scene. Other than the fact that it was so goofy, I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah, it was a little bit over the top, but I liked it, and I understand that it's like iconic to the franchise. So it was nice to finally like actually see where all the references came from. Uh, but man, it was it like it felt a little Jim Carrey esque. It was funny. I'll acknowledge that. Alrighty then. Yeah, so after all that goes down, Annie and Jake and Bobby Joe and uh, Rocky, because I can't remember the brother's name, um, all come in. They they subdue Ash because he shot at them through the door because he didn't know. He thought it was more like demon stuff. So they they subdue him to the ground. They, they kind of fuck him up. They throw him in the cellar, which honestly, this scene was great. Like when these characters came in and this whole scene plays out, very intense very well paced. I was on the edge of my seat during this. They throw him down in the cellar. And when Bruce Campbell, I don't know if he had a stunt double or if he actually did his own stunts, but man, when that dude tumbles down the stairs of the, uh, the cellar, that was crazy hardcore. Like he breaks through one of the steps, he rolls, he hits the ground. I was like, all right, that was pretty rad. 
He does have a stunt double, but he did most of the stunts. This was a stunt double, though, this particular scene you're describing. Okay, cool. Well, kudos to all of them because, and and Bruce Campbell, that's full on applause to you because that dude can do physical acting like nobody's business. That guy is top notch. Him and Devin Sawa both killed it with, you know, hand acting. Let's bring him back. Idle hands too versus the evil dead. <laughs> hands across America. That's what they can call the subtitle. Um, at that point, uh, this is when Annie finds out that her, her family's been killed. She thinks that Ash did it first, but then she kind of realizes that, oh, this might be because the Necronomicon, because doesn't she play the tape? Yeah. So she figures out because she plays the tape and her dad, it's at the part now where her dad's like, uh, your mom, well, I think he calls her Henri- Henrietta, uh, started acting all weird after I said these words. It was like she was possessed, so I had a killer, but I really love my wife, so I couldn't bear to chop her up, so I just buried her in the fruit cellar. Um, and then it cuts to Ash down there, and we hear uh, uh, Mark's uh, favorite line about who's in my fruit cellar, or eating my fruit salad. <laughs> Yeah. And he rightfully so starts freaking the fuck out. Like, get me out of here. God damn it. And like hitting the top of the cellar door and it's all chained up and making it much harder for Jake to actually unlock the stupid lock to let him out. If he would just calm down, he would have been out of there. No problem. (laughs) I don't fault him for freaking out. I mean, if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, sure. I mean, I'd be like ramming the the fucking door as hard as possible. Um, This was actually a really good scene, though. Like, I appreciated the fact that they didn't make Ash um, calm confident in this scene and he legitimately was scared um that really put me on a a level with him as a character where i didn't feel like he was overpowered you know had too much of a grasp on the situation because we know he's freaking out but he kind of threw like when he's fighting the hand he almost becomes accustomed to kind of dealing with this level of craziness but when he sees this he reverts back to this like i am at a a severe disadvantage here. And I, I really appreciated that because it kind of brought me back into the character of Ash. I don't know if you guys felt that way, but like, I, I really appreciate they kind of didn't make him overpowered until the end. Hmm. You know, I haven't really thought about it that way, but you're right. I like that too. And it's not very often that he comes across that scared again. He's usually, uh, I mean, as his character progresses through the franchise, he becomes an overcompetent um, buffoon. Like they start leaning heavier into that stuff. So, yeah, you're right, Garrett. Good call out. That's disappointing to hear. I liked his everyman quality uh, in both of the films, but particularly in this one, it does feel like he's just sort of stumbling from one thing to to the next. And like one thing I thought about when I was watching this film is that it at some points like hard to follow everything that was going on. It felt like dreamlike in a sense. And I was like, man, I bet like if you actually went through something like this that's how you would remember it very chopped up very like unsure because it's like such a traumatic and emotional experience Uh, i don't know if that's what they're going for but i picked up on that and i did like the ash was just sort of like how a regular person might luck through a situation like this yeah it was a real folly of errors well consider this is his origin story right john you said he's going to be the chosen one later on so this is him becoming that or fulfilling that prophecy And when I say he's an overconfident buffoon, it doesn't mean he's not effective. He's still very good at killing deadites. He just becomes a one-liner machine. You're going to see a switch of his personality a little bit. Interesting. Okay, okay. They do get Ash out of the cellar, and then um, Henrietta's demon face kind of talks to them and tells them, like, hey, 
we're here, we're ready to fuck shit up. You're like, you know, it's too late. The evil is the evil's unleashed. Uh, you'll be dead by dawn. And they start chanting dead by dawn. And I got to ask, Mark, is that where they got the name of the dead by dawn video game? Uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I want to say at some point that was either the tagline or the sir title of the movie. But yeah, dead by dawn is definitely associated with this movie. It's on the poster dead evil due to dead by dawn. Okay. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, yo, that's pretty rad. And at this point, you know, people are going to turn into demons. Um, things are going to start happening to the different characters as they kind of uncover the fact that like, oh, you know, the the evil is unleashed. We've got to find a way to kind of like, you know, quell it before the morning or else we're all going to die. Um, now we can get into like actually what happens. But for the general plot, basically it's them trying to survive to the morning while everyone just has these like moments of like dealing with... Um, the demons themselves. Like at one point they squish Henrietta's face in the cellar door and an eyeball shoots out into Bobby Joe's mouth. I was like, what the fuck Does she? It sounds like she swallows it too. It sounds like there's a sound effect that's like gulp. <laughs> is that what happened? Yeah. That sound effect is there though. You don't see it. It's like the, it cuts away and then you hear the gulp sound. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, but some of stuff like that, I was just like, Oh, come on, please. But, uh, when, when Rocky turns into uh, the giant, like, weird host from X-Files level demon face, that's fucking crazy. When he lifts up uh, Jake and throws him up into the ceiling, that was really creepy. They end up taking an axe to his... Yeah, I really like that makeup effect. They, he, they, his name is Ed, and they just called that Evil Ed, Ed. Uh, costume makeup effect. But yeah, it's it's really well done. When, when uh, Jake gets thrown up into the ceiling, I thought he was dead. But Jake could evidently survive anything because <laughs> he also gets thrown into a tree later on that splinters, and he just stands up like, ooh, that was rough. <laughs> well, he goes head first into a tree. Yeah. He should have shattered his neck bones in his back. Y'all, he's got that Jake Drenaline. <laughs> that Jake Drenaline. <laughs> Body by Jake. <laughs> well, during the commotion, Ash's hand comes up and, and jumps on Bobby Joe's back. She freaks the fuck out and runs off into the woods where she's attacked by the forest, gets drugged through the forest, and then raped by a tree. And it's like, whoops, you should have stayed indoors, gal. What do you mean raped by a tree? She just gets crazy. She gets like drugged by like vines. That's it. One of the people in the Blu-ray special features mentions that. So because I know in the uh, the remake, the remake, it's actually like very hinted. You see like vines going up into her skirt and like you're like, whoa, I think that tree just raped that chick. That's not cool. But that was also an iconic scene of the first Evil Dead, John, right? Mm -hmm. Like that happened in the right. 81 movie. Yeah. And the first one, it's definitely a rape. Second one. Uh, it looked more like he, she got smashed into a tree and then remake back to the rape. Okay, we'll go with that then. Jake kind of turns a, a, a corner that I don't like and he decides he's going to put a gun in Ash and Annie's face and like, we're going to go find Bobby Joe, God damn it. And Ash is like, dude, if she's out there, she's dead, bro. Like, get over it. It's time to move on. We got to do this thing. Do this thing. I should mention the thing is that Annie's dad comes back in phantom ghost form and he's all like, you have to recite the passage from the pages you found to save my soul and your lives. And he vanishes off into the ether. <laughs> so ridiculous. I totally forgot about that bullshit. <laughs> it was the worst effects of the whole film. It took me so out of the movie. I was like, what in God's name? Is, is this some sort of made for TV thing? Uh, it was ridiculous. I forget that's in the movie every time until I see it again. I'm like, all oh, right, <laughs> Phantom Daddy's back. Also, if you see me at Frightmare, please feel free to call me Phantom Daddy. <laughs> 
Okay, so while they're discussing on what to do, Jake puts a gun in their face and makes them go outside to look for Bobby Joe. And he throws those, before he does that, he does, because you had mentioned they go find it, but how they gets down there is Jake throws the papers in the, the fruit cellar. He's like, everything you're saying is bullshit. Uh, we got to go find Bobby Joe. So here's what I think of your fucking papers throws him in the fruit cellar and is like, now let's go find my dead wife. <laughs> yeah, you're right. What an asshole. Like all this shit's going on and you saw a ghost head say, you got to read from these pages. And he's like, fuck these pages. They're going down in the cellar. Let's go outside where all the evil is. Like, come on, dude. Right. This At this moment. Connect the dots. He is not a dot connector. I'll tell you <laughs> that about if you know one thing about Jake. But at this moment, responsibility transfers, right? At first, this is 100% the dad's fault because he started all this shit by reading it on that cassette player. Ash didn't know what he was playing. He's in the clear. After the dad's like, all right, here's how you fix it. And Jake's like, uh, I'd rather die. Everything that happens after that point is his fault 100%. They could have solved, they could have all escaped right here. This has been the blame game with John on the grave talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. You're right. It is all on Jake Busey. What an asshole. But then he goes outside and then what happens? I guess the uh, transformation of Ash turning into a deadite uh, happens and he turns back into the evil self and he starts kicking the shit out of everybody and Annie runs back into the cabin, um, shuts the door and she finds this Kandarian dagger that's like a pretty nice looking knife. I do like how it's like all segmented like a spine uh, and then it ends in a point. Like it's a really nice design. Mm -hmm. The door starts rattling and 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 shaking and then when the door busts open she stabs without looking and she stabs jake directly in the stomach and i'm like well bro you shouldn't have been out there in the first place now that john has laid the blame at your feet this is all your fault <laughs> so she drags him back in screaming this little 90 pound woman is dragging 200 pound jake through the house it looked like a real hard struggle i'll tell you that i like to the whole time she's dragging him she's just talking shit she's like shut up I'm trying to help you. Like we just shut. She does not give a shit about Jake. She just wants him to shut up. So he, so Annie drags Jake to the cellar door, like right next to it. Henrietta pops up, grabs Jake, drags him halfway down. And they're like playing tug of war. And the whole time, uh, Annie's trying to get Jake back. Just gallons of blood are just pouring out like of the cellar door splashing Annie in the face. So I don't know why she's trying so hard. Jake's dead, dude. It's basically the UHF uh, drink from the fire hose scene. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love because the moment they cut to the next scene with her in it, she has like a little smear of blood on her shoulder and everything else is totally clear. Yeah, yeah. That was a little continuity breaking right there. <laughs> I, I actually like that because that actually happens to Ash a couple times as well. I, I kind of thought it was kind of charming in the film when like people would be covered in like fire hose levels of blood. And the next scene, they're just like, okay, Oh, I got a little on my arm here. You're just like, okay, I'm in, I'm in for this. This, this has got to be a conscious gag. Eventually Jake gets pulled into the cellar and that's the end of poor Jake. Ash comes in, he picks up uh, Annie and just throws her across the room. And in the scuffle, he sees the, uh, the charm and he sees the charm and he's like, right the power of love and he fights back and he beats the deadites and he's like that's the power of love exactly so once again point one for love point zero for demons uh he's normal ash he's taking a breather and 
Annie, being a fucking genius, attacks him again. And he's like, no, no, I'm my normal self. She's like, got it. And then she tries to ax him right in the fucking head. And I'm like, you know what? That's how you do it. Don't trust anybody. She's on survival mode, dude. She ain't taking shit or like, mm -hmm. this could be another dead-eyed trick like Linda pulled on Ash. You know what I mean? I can't fault her for trying to take his head off. <laughs> but he grabs her and shakes her. He's like, God damn it. I said I'm all right. And she's like, okay, I'm, but I'm watching you kind of look in her eye, you know? So they got to go get the pages, right? Uh, when they realize they're going to have to go down and fight Henrietta, this is where we get the uh, scene of Ash mounting the chainsaw to his hand in a series of amazing, that I have dubbed, Sam Raimi cuts. And you'll see this same style again in uh, Spider-Man 2 whenever Doc Ock is getting his limbs attached, his mechanical arms. It's the same fast motion stuff of like a lot of gears turning and tightening of belts and wrenches and just like zooming in on the action and just really quick cuts. It's something Sam Raimi's known for and I love it. But this is where he's uh, ashes mounting the chainsaw to his hand. He's got the drawstring on a little clip that's on his shirt where he can just pull it because, you know, he's one handed, right? So he can't do it all the time with the shotgun in the other hand. That was really fucking clever. Like I, I never had noticed that before because again, I hadn't seen this movie. I just knew that he had the chainsaw hand. When he puts the handle of the chainsaw in that little thing, like attached to his like chest strap, I was I immediately like I pointed at the TV. I was in the house by myself. I pointed. I was like, "That's genius!" <laughs> Just like yelled at the TV. <laughs> um, that was a really cool, like little thoughtful thing that whoever designed this contraption, bang on, dude. You thought of some details. Yeah, and then we get his classic line that he'll be known for forever. He stops and says, "Groovy." Boo. Boo. <laughs> you don't like that? Come on. That, that reminded me of Duke Nukem. And I was like, oh, that's where it came from. That's exactly where it came from. <laughs> I'm okay with it in theory. I know that it's iconic. I know that it's part of the character and it does kind of play into how he is. I'm okay with it in theory. Although like we just saw this badass, amazing moment where he did all this like worked. He sawed off his shotgun, knocked it with his elbow to make it like a, a, a sawed off barreled shotgun. Um, he straps the little handle thing into his chest. And then he says groovy. It, it ruined this like insanely intense moment for me. I was like, oh, if he says something badass right now, let's go fuck some shit up. And he's all groovy. I was like, oh, you fucking loser. Okay, Garrett, insert better word now. Oh, um, geez. I, you know what? I'm going to go with the strong silent type. I think just giving <laughs> a stare down to the camera is enough. Just look straight into the lens, break the fourth wall. <laughs> Be like, you see what I did, motherfucker? Or you could have said, let's send these demons back to Canada. All right. All right. Or something like, you know, like, all right, dead eye. You know, like, I don't know. There's some, there's so many other things you could say that's not. And the thing is, is like, he doesn't say it gruff. He goes, groovy. Like, he's like, like, all right, let's go. Let's go rent a video. And you're just like, all right, calm down there. What would you say, John? Um, I would say that I had no problems with groovy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it works. It works. Yeah. I would, I think, I, I, how can you improve on perfection? Groovy it is. <laughs> Bitchin'. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Alrighty then. Dynamite! Can I do that? Disappointed! For me to poop on! You Got it, dude. You think any of those will be better, huh? Nope. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> Did I make a chainsaw? <laughs> nope, but I think it's just funny as hell to, to, to revert to the worse and worse catchphrases as we go. Fair enough. 
All right, so Ash heads into the basement, uh, the cellar, the fruit cellar to be exact, uh, looking for the pages. He locates them and throws them up like a bundle uh, to uh, Annie, who's up in the, uh, uh, the the main floor, and then he gets attacked by Henrietta from under the stairs. And they're fighting, and they get out, and there's a very great sequence of Henrietta floating through the air. Henrietta's head turns into an, an elongated neck in like a, I don't know, like almost a bird-like form. I don't, I can't, I don't know how to describe her exactly, but I think that was Henrietta's downfall. You make your neck easy pickings for a chainsaw wielding man to cut your head off. And that's exactly what happens. Like you should have kept your neck short. You were doing so much better in <laughs> demon form than uh, devil bird form. Henrietta, what are you doing? Hubris. It's the downfall of many a villain. <laughs> Henrietta did not respect chainsaw ash. And uh, one would say that she really lost her head. Oh, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> she was doing really good, even with her long, like, you know, turkey neck until uh, Annie, who was the 1980s Feruza Balk. Um, her face was very similar to Feruza Balk. It made me like laugh throughout the whole movie, like started singing some nursery rhyme. I don't remember which one it was. Hush, little baby. Don't say a yeah, word. Which earlier because her mom used to sing that to her. Yeah, but that that begs the question is once the deadites have you, they they would pretend to be human to lull you into like, oh, I'm still human. But are the humans still alive inside them? Because it seemed to like stun the deadite momentarily like, oh, she's singing that nursery rhyme that I used to know. Like, was she just was the deadite confused or was it actually having an effect on Henrietta inside of her? Or was that just a complete like misnomer for no reason? I think that the humans are dead, but the deadites still have traces of their personality because they've inhabited their body and their brain, so they still have their memories. And uh, Annie was able to touch one of those lingering personality uh, hotspots, and that's what phased Henrietta. But I don't think Henrietta is still alive, per se. Uh, I just think that the, the demon has managed to inherit some of her essence. Okay, now John, say that again slowly. Talk about touching those hot spots again. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to agree with John. I think that's exactly what it is. It's just, uh, it's using the Deadites uh, toolkit against them, right? They, they love to prey on people and use the form of their their family members, their loved ones. If they can bring up memories to lull them into a sense of safeness, then they can attack when they're vulnerable, that sort of thing. Well, Annie just flipped it. She started singing the thing and it activated the card catalog for nursery rhyme. And then Ash was able to strike with the chainsaw, taking her head off. And that is the end of monkey noise making Henrietta. Hey, I swallow your soul. I swallow your soul. I swallow your soul. <laughs> Swallow this. And then the woods come alive and start slamming into the house and it should just be obliterated into pieces. Annie reads the first incantation that she needs to get rid of what's happening right now. And the first one makes the evil dead Kandarian spirit turn into flesh. So what happens is the door bursts open and there's a giant demon face trying to get into the cabin and it's reaching through a window with a wooden tree hand and it grabs hold of Ash. And upon seeing the demon in flesh form, it turns Ash's hair white on the side of his head. 
Annie is frantically trying to read off the, uh, the, the incantation while Ash is not doing very well against this giant demon who was nicknamed Rotten Applehead. <laughs> Because uh, it kind of looks like that, right? It's just one eye poking through the door because it's so large and just gross teeth. And it kind of lo- resembles a rotten apple. <laughs> As Annie's reading off the last passage, she gets stabbed in the back with that Candarian dagger. And I think it's by Ash's evil hand, right? Yes. Gets her in the back and with her dying breath says the last phrase that opens up the portal that's going to suck the evil into another era or dimension or what have you. And everything starts flying through pieces of the cabin, trees, the Candarian applehead rotten demon goes through, but so does Ash. Unfortunately, he can't close the gate and he sucked through and then there's a very sad Bill Bixby Bruce Banner song playing as he's twirling through space and time. Now, I actually really love this effect. I thought how however they made that portal, I think it looks really good. Still holds up to me. I don't know how it looks in 4K, John. You'll have to fill us in, but uh, uh, it looks fine. I liked I liked the effect. I mean, it looked like an effect, but I still liked it. You got to look past that when you're watching older movies. You know, you can't let that harm your enjoyment of them. Right, absolutely. Well, he bursts into a sky and falls down onto this deserted area. And then he looks up and there's all these knights and they think he's a deadite and they go to, to kill Ash. At that moment, a very Ray Harryhausen-esque creature comes flying in, a, a, an animated demon. And Ash just pulls out a shotgun and shoots its head off. And then the whole realm, if you will, or all the knights that are hanging out start praising Ash. starts screaming no because he realizes oh no i'm the failure that those pages mentioned that i commented on earlier in the film and that's the end of the movie i thought he was saying no because he knew he was like stuck in a different world like he's like oh man i I can't go back i thought that was why he was doing it now it was definitely a nod and homage to that earlier legend in that picture where you know the the savior is standing on the thing but uh, yeah, it's a good point. He may be yelling no because he realized he was the one that then fucks that up. It's probably uh, all of that all at once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't want to be back there in this 1300 AD and then realizing he's still got to fight this evil shit after enduring it for several nights at this point, you know? Yeah. Tiresome being Ash. Those nights, though, there was like at least like 60 nights on horseback and like full armor with like weapons and stuff like that. And one human-sized like bat monster flies down and they're like run it was like guys you you got this <laughs> there's enough of you to handle this one small creature um but they panic and freak out and then yeah ash blows its fucking head off classic classic ash so classic this one is a cult classic gentlemen and i would say that this movie may qualify as one of the top most prominent cult classic movies of all time. Would you agree? Ooh. Yes, I would agree with that. It's like referenced everywhere. Like as I watched it and then I would recognize references, I didn't even realize were references. I was like, oh, that's from here. Okay, I get it now. Um, So like if you're in the horror 
community interested in the horror community or even like horror adjacent you've seen this movie referenced so many times you might not even recognize it um so i think at least in the you know in our little neck of the woods it's top tier yeah i'd have to agree with that i i I'm not sure if I've seen more references to Army of Darkness than I have Evil Dead 2, but um, without without having more intimate knowledge of that, it's hard to say which one's more of the cult classic. But this movie definitely is a massive cult classic. And I think that goes to what John and I were talking about at the beginning is we've had this built up. We've we've known about this thing's existence. We've had it portrayed to us in this like fan light that just, you know, it was it was hard for it to live up to the, the hype that we had had. Yeah, and I'm not going to separate Army of Darkness from Evil Dead 2 when I say it's the most prominent cult classic. I'm I'm tying them all together. Okay, okay. How many franchises have lasted this long spanning video games, television shows? And I wouldn't say that they're all that spectacularly profitable, but there is such a fan base for this thing that it keeps coming back. You know what I mean? Like, And then we got a remake of it too. I mean, that's not saying a lot. Everything's remade these days. But yeah, it's just such a long-lasting franchise that just continues to have fans for it. I think if it's not the top cult classic out there, it is one of them, for sure. Do you guys recommend anybody watch this? I think this is going to be interesting to hear what you have to say. Yes, I do recommend that people watch this. If, if you dip your toes into the horror genre... This is definitely a must watch. You know, as you said, Mark, and I, it may have been John, but this movie has been referenced out the ass in other um, other properties. I mean, you can't escape the impact that it's had. So it's kind of nice to see it, um, see it in its own natural environment. I wouldn't go into this expecting you to like it, but I would definitely say it's worth watching. It's like how some people recommend certain movies like, oh, you haven't seen Goodfellas? You should definitely watch Goodfellas, you know, like. I would feel the same way about Evil Dead and the fact that I would say watch it, but don't, I don't know, don't get your hopes up. Yeah, I would agree. I would also recommend it, but purely because it's such a cultural milestone. Uh, don't be like me and go through life not knowing about all these references. So I'd recommend it because it just feels like something someone who's well-versed in horror should watch. I'm not going to pretend that I really thought this was a tremendous film. It had its moments, but if it wasn't, if it wasn't Evil Dead, I probably wouldn't watch it ever again. But because it's built up such a cult following, I think it's important enough that it kind of transcends its mediocre quality into something more important. Um, But I don't know. That's a great movie, like standalone. Sounds like you were, you would assign it as like a homework assignment. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Well, I said it was my favorite movie, so I would highly recommend it. I think it's an absolute fun time. Uh, You may need to tweak your expectations of just how scary it is. Uh, I think it has its scary moments, but overall, it's Ash Williams as a cartoon character come to life, (laughs) being chased around and tormented uh, by the Roadrunner. You know, he's basically like if you took Wiley Coyote and then just gave him a chainsaw hand (laughs) and then started kicking his ass. (laughs) I think you. I think everybody should watch it and. I would recommend the entire franchise and even the three seasons of the television show. If you like Evil Dead 2, continue the story. They bring Xena in. Uh, Lucy Lawless plays a role in it. Uh, Ted Raimi comes back. You know, Ash gets to keep being his smarmy self for another three seasons. And that's stuff that, you know, that's something that a lot of horror franchises never have the opportunity to come back and bring out all the old players and do it with a new uh, fresh coat of paint. So if you enjoy that, enjoy Evil Dead, enjoy Army of Darkness, definitely check that out. 
Highly recommended. So any other thoughts on Evil Dead before we wrap up, fellas? Nope. Well, there's still another Evil Dead thing underway. I know that at some point in the last year, Sam Raimi has been talking about bringing the Evil Dead franchise back to some degree. Is Ash coming back? I don't know. We've said on the previous episodes that Bruce Campbell said he was hanging up the chainsaw and the boomstick. But what do we got on the way? We got a a multiplayer game coming out where you can play as Ash, a couple of characters from the show. You can play as uh, King Arthur from Army of Darkness. And you're running through a cabin trying to survive against the evil dead. And you can control the evil dead itself also. So... I hope this game is good. I hope it's somewhere where that Jason uh, Friday the 13th game landed. I hope we get something of that quality because I would love to uh, have a good multiplayer game because I don't know if you guys have ever touched an Evil Dead game. They're not all that great. The one on PS2 was passable. The one on the Dreamcast was abysmal. It uh, was the worst playing thing I'd played in a long time. So I would say just stay away from the video games and stick with the movies myself. So we'll have to see what comes of Evil Dead uh, here in the future. Last question to you, fellas. Do you think Bruce Campbell is going to make a cameo in Doctor Strange in the Mouth of Madness? Because he cameoed in every single Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. I think it would be only fitting if he makes a cameo as maybe like a monk or something in the uh, in the next Doctor Strange movie. I hope he does. Did you say a monk? Yeah, like one of uh, what's uh, yeah. The, 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 I forget his buddy's name at the uh, part of the uh, order. Okay, you're talking about Wong. Yeah, Wong. There it is. Like one of the, he could be one of them guys. Shave his head and then just put him in a robe, and it'd be a funny scene. Okay. <laughs> all right, I concur. Yeah, I mean, it'd be. I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, I don't think him making a cameo is any kind of problem. I mean, you know, hey, hook your buddies up. I think it'd be cool to see him pop up. I know the fans would appreciate it. I'm more interested to see if that yellow fucking car makes an appearance because I know that's been in almost all the Sam Raimi movies. I know that was in the Spider-Man movie. It was in Drag Me to Hell. Yep. Um, So I'll be interested to see if that pops up in Doctor Strange at all. I'm sure the Delta will make an appearance. (laughs) Okay. Well, Garrett, what are we doing next time? Next time we're doing nothing because the podcast is over. I've decided to end it. Oh shit. It's not fun anymore. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Mark and I will be starting a podcast where we talk about Marvel comics, um, but only after 10 PM. Uh, so John will be asleep. So what we'll do is we'll just splice his takes in after the fact. And, um, you can listen at the end of the episode to see what John thinks about things that he hasn't read. Um, actually we're going to be doing the, uh, foreign film train to, Busan or Busan. I don't know how you say that, so I apologize, but it's trained to Busan. Um, I believe that's a zombie flick. Uh, John, this is one of your choices, so um, I hear good things, so I'm excited to see that one. Yeah, my understanding is it's about a train, so that's pretty much all I know about it. I I think it's a zombie movie, too. Wait, did you literally just know that it was about a train and pick that movie? Uh, Well, no, but I would have anyway, because I love train movies. Second only to submarine movies. (laughs) (laughs) But no, throw mama from is John's favorite film. Exactly. Uh, no, um, I've heard it's very, very good. Uh, and I wanted to watch it and I thought, why not subject everybody to it in case it's bad? Well, I'm looking forward to it. It's been highly acclaimed. So maybe I'm going to walk into a situation like John did this episode and be let down. Uh, but we'll see. So we'll tune in next time for train of Busan listeners. If you uh, have any comments you want to make about evil dead, let us know on our uh, social media. We got a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you can find everything we're up to at thegravetalk.com. Uh, drop us a line. You got any ideas for movies you want us to do? Any cold open ideas? We're always happy to hear from you. Until next time, get Train to Busan Watch. See you then. <laughs>